Hey everyone, welcome to episode 65 of the Ubuntu Security Podcast. I'm Alex Murray. So as I alluded to in last week's episode, uh, we've got a bit of a shorter episode this week in terms of security updates to discuss. And uh, whilst that was meant to be because the team were going to be in Frankfurt uh, to at the latest uh, Chronicle Sprint, unfortunately with the uh, coronavirus um, pandemic, I guess, kind of uh, widening, uh, Canonical made that optional. And so we are, um, most of us are still working from home this week. Uh, but we have been trying to do uh, various team activities as well during the week, but doing it remotely. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, we will go through the details of the um, of the security updates that have been done. And then Joe and I had a, a chat this week about uh, ROS, the robotics operating system. And this is something that we've mentioned in passing a bunch of different times on the podcast, but uh, we thought it was time to kind of go into a bit more detail about that and to give you guys a bit more of an overview of how the security team in particular is working with ROS as well. All right, so let's get into it. Uh, So this week, there were seven different CVEs that were addressed by the team. First up, we've got Lube Archive, and this was a couple of different CVEs for Xenial, Bionic, and Ewan. Uh, and the first one was found by OSS Fuzz, the Google project uh, that is continuously fuzzing uh, LibArchive. In this case, they found that the raw unpacker would try and unpack a file which had a corrupted or malformed header. Uh, so you could have like a zero length header there and it would then go and perform an out-of-bounds read and crash as a result. So you'd get a denial of service. Uh, so that was just fixed by simply making sure it checked uh, for a possible short header length uh, before proceeding. Uh, they also found another out-of-bounds read uh, due to the use of the wrong length parameter when uh, calling some multi-byte to wide character conversion functions. And so that was fixed as well. OpenSMTBD was next on the list. So two different CVEs that were addressed uh, for the versions in Bionic and Ewan. Uh, one of these was a high profile one and uh, this actually allowed possible remote code execution on both OpenSMTBD clients and servers. Uh, in this case, it was in the client side code, but uh, this is spawned for uh, debouncing on the server side as well. So you could possibly get code exec uh, on the server as well due to that. Uh, that was fixed. And also there was a possible arbitrary file read uh, due to a race condition in uh, part of the offline functionality for OpenSMTBD. Uh, in this case, a User, you know, could create a hard link to some root-owned file you know, under temp, and OpenSMTPD would read uh, via that um, and read the root-owned file because it is running as root, so it would be able to do that even though the user couldn't uh, potentially do that. Uh, so a bit of a, like a confused deputy problem there, really. Um, but anyway, and so uh, that is, however, mitigated on Ubuntu because we enable uh, the protected hard link syscall, uh, which stops regular users from creating hard links to uh, root-owned or files they don't own uh, in general. Uh, PP, so we're next up, actually, we've got a couple updates for our extended security maintenance customers. Um, two of these, these two I covered actually in last week's episode, episode 64. So there was an up- update for uh, PPP and an update for LibPAM Radius Auth. Uh, both of those had a single CVE each. And if you want to know more about those, uh, yeah, go check out episode 64. And finally, we had an update for Rake, uh, the kind of make-like system for Ruby. Uh, one CV that was addressed for Xenial, Bionic, and Ewan. And this was a uh, command injection vulnerability that occurred via the uh, file list uh, method. 
what this was doing is you know it would try to list files so it would open you know the file name as specified but uh, it was using the kernel open method rather than the file open method and the kernel open method is kind of like um, a more like a catch-all so you can both open files and processes and all kinds of stuff through it and the way you open a process is you uh, proceed the name with a pipe and so then it goes in xx uh, that command and they were just using yeah that bare open method which would um, could allow then uh, command execution if your file name started with a pipe. Uh, so instead that was a simple change just to use the file.open uh, method instead. And that's it for security updates, as I said, a bit shorter this week. All right, so up next, uh, Joe and I thought it would be useful to have a discussion about ROS because we have talked about ROS in a bunch of different scenarios in this podcast, but we thought it was good to go back to, I guess, kind of first principles and explain a bit more about what ROS is and how the team has been involved with ROS you know, in the short term. Hey, Alex, how are you doing this week? I'm really good, Joe. How are you doing? I'm doing great because if you remember last week, we said we were going to be doing this recording in Frankfurt as one of our uh, sprints we do as a, uh, as a, as a remote company. We, we meet in person. Um, but neither you or I are currently in Frankfurt. Um, no. And that is because of, what, COVID-19, corona? Yep, coronavirus. Corona light. Um, Canonical um, is a pretty great company to work for. Um, and what they said was, hey, if you have concerns, work from home, which we do anyhow. But you can skip this um, meeting. Or if you really want to go to the meeting or you're already in transit, then then go ahead and we'll meet in person. Um, that's really, I think, a great statement from our company, you know, showing how they value us. Um, you know, as a 100% remote company, it is important to meet face-to-face. But, you know, there were some serious concerns about this with health and, and quarantine risks and things like that. So we... Um, we are both recording remotely this week. And this week, as a result, I have spent a lot of time playing with robots, which leads into our discussion for today. Yeah, I've, uh, so, yeah, so just back on the, you know, the travel thing, I think, yeah, that is quite cool that we've been given that, that option. Uh, but I have also found it very cool to watch your Twitter and see you put together this robot that you've been building. So there's a little backstory here. So, um, for folks who might have heard us mention this, um, there's something called ROS, Robotics Operating System, which is open source software from the um, Open Robotics Group. Um, and ROS runs on Ubuntu. You install your LTS of Ubuntu and then um, add, a, add a repository and install ROS. And ROS is a um, is a is um, basically a, a pub-sub system where you can make your sensors talk to your controller and vice versa. Um, control your motors through a central uh, messaging system. Um, uh, they use DDS, which if you're not familiar, is kind of like um, MQTT. Um, and most people, when they're, when they're getting up to speed on this, um, they do one of two things. You can see some amazing videos, which we'll link, or you can Google um, Kyle Fazari Ubuntu robot. Um, and this is a cheap, like, $30 robot that runs on a Pi, and you can do some stuff with it. But it's kind of... It's the low end. And then the high end, there's something called the TurtleBot, which is from this really great company called Robotis um, that makes a very advanced TurtleBot platform, which has LiDAR and um, cameras, and um, it's got uh, built-in rechargeable batteries and a whole subboard for powering different things. He has a mount for a robotic arm, et cetera. That is not $30. That is like $1,000. So, well, 
do you want to do something in the middle? Because I don't yeah. know about you, but I want to, you know, I want to play something that's a little more substantial. So um, I, uh, I knew I could just get any tank platform and a Raspberry Pi and uh, a motor controller and do some simple robotics. Um, some of the most fun things I think we can do as software people is make something move in the real world. Um, I took, uh, when I was uh, in grad school, I took this amazing uh, human computer interaction class, which had <laughs> such a cool name. It was called Applied Gadgets and Sensors. And we just basically made robots. Um, awesome. And, and that was like, I don't know, it was quite some time ago. But, um, you know, getting an Arduino and a tank plot, the, the, the Tamiya tank platform, which is pretty cheap, um, and making some things move around was just a blast. And it was really fun. And so this is sort of, the, I think, in my mind, the next logical step. Um, I got this kit off Amazon. I think it's the OSEP tank kit um it's this anodized aluminum um it's pretty light sturdy the motors are really good um and then you attach your own raspberry pi and it came with a servo and a mount for a um ultrasonic uh sensor um i um what i did was just mount the sensor right in the front for now because i want to build the robot then i'll put the servo on and make the sensor move around but um i've tried two different um motor platforms um one i was really excited about because it did power pass through to power the pi so you'd only need one um one battery to power your robot unfortunately that would only work with low powered um with low i'll say low power consumption from the motors so if i made the motors go fast the the pi would become unresponsive because the motor controller would stop giving enough power to the pi so i have a different robot hat um, that I got off Amazon that now powers everything perfectly. And I bought a remote control car, battery, and a little charger. Um, but I also need a USB um, power pack to power the Pi. But anyhow, yep. that all runs, and it runs ROS. So you can create your own whole system in Python to do something, but it won't be as responsive um, or as, I'll say, extendable and have a whole ecosystem around it like ROS. So there's ROS, and then there's ROS2. So ROS is basically an open system built around... Um, I'll say academics wanting to um, get robots up and running fast, which is great. The academics need to drive uh, innovation like that. That's awesome. But ROS2 is the more enterprise, um, I'll say, uh, security-focused version of it. So um, all we're, uh, I'll say every, every, every inter-node communication can be encrypted. Um, you can have subscribers. Um, there's really fine-grained control. Um, we uh, we're you know uh, canonical uh, is in charge of the security working group for Roz too. I'm I'm the chair of the security working group, and we're doing things like implementing extend, uh, extended logging because if anybody's ever deployed something that's IoT in like a factory setting, um, if you think about it, well that's on the network, and you know in the past you'd have like your SCADA device be on a SCADA network, um, so that's your supervisory control and data acquisition. So if you think of like a power plant, those things are all Windows NT boxes hooked up to rudimentary serial interfaces, measuring stuff that runs forever and hasn't been patched. Um, yep. So you want that on a separate network? Yes. These yeah. things are all wireless. They're not on a separate, no one's doing wireless segmentation. They're putting them on the same network as people who have devices in the floor, um, who have their laptops, et cetera, and they can be attacked. But if you don't, um, if you don't have any sort of advanced logging that'll let you know your devices are under attack or some people are sending these uh, 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 messages in a um, uh, unexpected format, you won't know if you're under attack. 
So we're adding that in. Um, we actually meet twice. We were initially meeting twice, I'm sorry, once a month for the security working group. We actually have so much participation that we're now meeting twice a month and it's really helping us drive this innovation and security space in ROS. Um, so if you want to make your first ROS robot, I would, like I said, check out this um, video series from Kyle on the robotics team um, about making your first robot. Um, one thing that's really cool about it is Kyle um, has some professional videography training. Um, and the videos are amazing. Like to the point where I'm not even gonna bother to make a video for this thing, because it just won't compare. But um, they're filmed really well, uh, the instructions are really great, and you can make your first robot in a few hours. Um, and then extend it to something like this. So um, I think the parts list for this probably comes to including the battery and charger, which you can use for other projects. So actually I'm gonna take that out. Um, so not including battery and charger, like $110 US um, yep. by the time you buy the Pi. And you might even have a Pi sitting around your house. You don't need super fast computing. Um, and so for me, I don't know about you, Alex, but once I'm done with a project like this, I'm not, I, I hate to see it just sit on the shelf doing nothing. So mm. I'm going to take it to um, local hacking events and uh, have people try to uh, put it on the network and try to hack it. And I'll give some cool. Ubuntu swag away as a, as a, uh, for the people who, who can hack it. Yeah. I'll probably make intentionally uh, bad things so people can get through because if you just install stock Ubuntu. Yep. And keep it updated, then yeah. Yeah. It's going to be a hard time doing it. So I'll probably write some janky Flask app that'll let you um, do it. Maybe I'll try to hit an example from each of the OWASP top 10. It's <laughs> something like that. Yep. Um, or maybe give some hints out if we leave a, maybe if they want to use Hydra to attack SSH. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, so okay. no, I'm really think... looking forward to seeing your write-up, Joe. I'm hoping you're going to take some pictures at least because it does look like a very cool platform. Um, and But it looks at things you... There's a bunch of self-assembly that you've done there as well, so it's not just sort of software. You get to play a bit with hardware and mm-hmm. um, all so that too. It's basically like models for adults. <laughs> yeah. Like looking at it, it kind of looked like, yeah, Meccano or something. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. It's, I mean, it's super fun. And I like, you know, like I said... As people spend all day in software, it's fun to make to do hardware stuff. It's not um, yeah. my specialty by any stretch of the imagination. And there's a whole realm of new um, things for you to, to Google, little things when you're making. I got a book years ago called Making Things Move um, about sort of coupling your, your motors and whatnot. And that's always a challenge if you're not using a kit, if you're trying to do something different. Um, yep. Years ago, I had to play with my first stepper motor. Have you used a stepper motor yep. Uh, so, um, back in the back in the day, yeah. yeah. Not lightly though. So, yeah. Yeah. What's I think? Okay, I'm trying to remember. So the point of a stepper motor is it's really you've got fine grain control, but it also has fine grain sense in the mixture. It's always returning to a set point, yeah. etc. Um, so I totally over-engineered this. I could have just used a servo, but um, I got a. Do you know? Remember, I, I got a Jack in the Box and took the clown out, and stuck a Godzilla head inside the Jack in the Box, hooked it up to the stepper motor. And then um, I fed messages from, I, I, I tailed, essentially I tailed the log from Snort. So as you were under attack, the, um, the head of the Godzilla would come out of the box. Awesome. And so I did that. And that was pretty fun using a stepper motor and an, uh, and an Arduino. Um, yeah. and, but now I just use a Raspberry Pi because back then there wasn't a Raspberry Pi. And I had to use the um, uh, uh, stepper motor along, I'm oh, sorry, the Arduino with a wireless shield, this goofy it wasn't an XD. I used something called like the Wi-Fi to make yep. it work and run its own server. So anyhow, it's fun stuff. And um, I hope people play with Roz. If you have questions, um, come to us. We're, we're looking at a bunch of things besides just um, 
you know, the communication of the robot itself, then there's the whole, it's a device on the network. So do you secure it? Do we make a default um, a UFW profile for it? Um, you know, do you, we want to make sure you can do unattended upgrades. Um, if you've built your robot on Python 2, well, you, you know, this is running Ubuntu. You can become an ESM customer. And since Python 2 is end of life, you're going to get support from us for um, 10 years, right? Uh, or up to 10 years, depending on what version you've installed. Um, then, um, you know, uh, we're also, if you're familiar with the CIS benchmark, um, we're working on a CIS benchmark for ROS. So you can have your robot have a CIS benchmark so you know it's a known good security status. You can have your sort of fog or edge compute um, also have CIS. And then your cloud controller, which is monitoring all this, all be CIS. So you can have a whole wrapped known good security state from end to end, which I think is pretty pretty cool. And we're working on that now. Um, we've got some great people on the robotics team. Uh, Jeremy DeRay is a um, uh, PhD candidate in robotics. Um, Ted Kern, um, uh, as a mechanical engine, no, mechanical or electrical, can't recall, engineer from Carnegie Mellon. Um, Kyle is a roboticist who was at the Navy doing robotics, who's been in the space for a long time. Um, and then we've got Sid Faber, who um, Sid and I worked together at uh, CERT at Carnegie Mellon. He's a professor. Um, he's doing some great, uh, he's actually doing a physical capture of the flag right now with an actual robot arm that will capture the flag if you hack it. Um, That's awesome. So, so he's going to have that at B-Sides in Pittsburgh. Um, and he's actually working with Slippery Rock University to make that uh, capture the flag right now. So it's pretty cool. So, um, yeah, robots are fun. It's a really cool thing for uh, um, people to get into if they want to make things move. And it's a little different than what you do every day. Yeah. Well, it's been interesting from my point of view to kind of see the evolution of ROS because, as you said, it started out as an academic project, really. And, um, you know, for kind of exploring with robots and figuring out how you can build these sort of flexible dynamic platforms, right, that, um, you know, can be easily reconfigured and repurposed and stuff. And that, um, I used to work back uh, in a company in the automotive space and we were uh, looking at the autonomous vehicle uh, sort of realm and ROS was kind of uh, being used there a lot. But mm-hmm. uh, they were kind of hitting up against essentially the people doing autonomous vehicles. You've got this, again, it's a bit more like that academic focus where you know things are moving very quickly. You're not necessarily focused on security and, and all the rest of it, right? Um, you've got lots of um, diverse components doing a lot of stuff, whereas the traditional automotive space is you've got these dedicated uh, ECUs that are you know as cheap as possible running you know bare bones sort of stuff and it was sort of interesting to see that uh, even nowadays I've seen that um, there's this platform called uh, Autosar which is kind of how you describe ECUs within a vehicle and how they can communicate with each other and traditionally that's been very fixed you know you kind of have yes one of this one of that and there's a communications pathway like this and it's all very static whereas they moved then to a model called Adaptive Autosar where things could be more dynamic uh, to allow them to integrate with things like uh, autonomous platforms that are very different. And then I noticed just recently they put out an announcement saying that they're supporting DDS as well so that you can directly interface with ROS because ROS is now seeing, you know, particularly with ROS2, deployment in you know, more traditional automotive markets where things have been very static and fixed. So yeah, ROS is really cool. That's awesome. Um yeah, and since uh, we've been, yeah, so Alex and I like to nerd out about books a little bit, and I was going on about how great the uh, Phoenix Project, and now now that I finished it, the Uni- Unicorn Project are. They're actually about um, software change within the automotive industry. Yep. So that'll be an area you you uh, have some familiarity with. Um, 
but yeah everybody um you know dig into some ROS, get yourself a cheap robot kit and go from there and i think even i don't know i think even the roomba has a um i don't know they used to sell a development kit where you could buy the roomba without a vacuum because it was a pretty cool robot platform but i don't know if they still do that but anyhow go make something move you're going to write this up though right joe so that people can follow along with what you've done excellent so of course when i there's a lot of notes because I've had to go back. I don't know about you, but when I write something up, I write it all up, especially because it's on a pie. I will take the SD card out, safely store it somewhere, and then redo it from the ground up to make oh, wow. sure I haven't missed any steps. Um, yep. Because, I don't know, I've PIP installed some things, and I'm not sure what I did. Yep. <laughs> so hopefully I didn't miss anything. I'm like, I don't think I needed that package. Because I don't yep. know about you, but when you when you buy a new device, like a new a cheap knockoff motor controller like I bought off of Amazon. You go to the instructions and it's like, download this source for your kernel module. Like, what? I'm not building it. What, what OS yep. is this running on? And so yep. you skip all that and just import a module in Python and actually you know your robot's moving. But you have to know where to, where to skip and what to skip and what packages you can not install. Like, do you really need SMBus and Python Serial? And, um, or should you use Pip and install it? Or should you use apt? Um, yep. Sometimes there's a difference there. Um, but I'm using all Ubuntu 18.04 on the Raspberry Pi and everything's been working great so far. I haven't had to jump through any hoops. It's kind of awesome. Cool. No, no blacklisting or whitelisting of modules yeah. for, um, for mod probe. It's, it's kind of awesome. Yep. That sounds fantastic. Cool. Right. Well, thank you again for listening. Um, and have a great week. Oh, remember we still have a few open positions on the team for robotic security. Um, a uh, security generalist, um, we can make a better name out of that, um, a certifications, a, a security certifications engineer, and um, I believe the App Armor role is posted now too, so we're adding more people to our App Armor team. So if you're an App Armor person or a kernel person, take a look. Awesome. Thanks, Joe. I'll talk to you next week. Bye, everybody. And thanks again, Joe. All right, so that takes us to the end of this week's episode. As usual, if you want to get in contact with the team, you can reach us at security at ubuntu.com or you can find us all hanging out in the Ubuntu Harden channel on the Freenode IRC network. Uh, we also have the security section on discourse.ubuntu.com if that is more your kind of thing. And finally, if you want to find us on Twitter, we are at ubuntu underscore sec. Okay, so thanks everyone for listening again for another week. I hope everyone stays safe from coronavirus and all other kinds of uh, threats in the world. Uh, But remember, in terms of uh, cyber threats, uh, we've got you back, so no need to panic. And I'll talk to you all again next week. All right, bye. (laughs) 